Hi, and welcome to the Hole in the Head Storytime. I'm Andy, and I have a lot of old motorcycles. Some people in my life might say too many, but each one has its own little story of how it returned to service, sometimes after years of neglect. This podcast chronicles some adventures in the completely unnecessary pursuit of filling the garage with obsolete, loud, and smelly machines. Maybe you can relate. Welcome to Hole in the Head. The first ride on a rebuilt bike is typically known as a shakedown ride. As in, if nothing falls off or leaks while vibrating on the road, that's a good sign. Today's story is a shakedown of sorts too, it's full of first times. Not only is it the inaugural episode of the Hole in the Head podcast, it's also the first story I ever wrote down. It's the first multi-state trip I took on a motorcycle and it was the first time this bike had been on the road in more than 30 years. So let's gear up and hope for the best. BMW's iconic airhead motorcycles have one pretty distinct characteristic, an opposed twin-cylinder engine, the heads of which jut out from the sides of the frame over the rider's toes. From 1969, the Bayerisch Motor & Werke Company relocated their assembly plant to Spandau in West Berlin and launched its new line of boxer motorcycles, ultimately churning out the Slash 5, 6, and 7 series of two-valve twins. As a motorcycle noob, I had heard about the phenomenon of riding an airhead wherein, because of the piston's opposing momentums, the large flywheel's perpendicular rotation to the spoked wheels which are driven by a spinning longitudinal drive shaft, there's a certain buoyancy or floating effect that happens at a particular RPM where everything sort of balances out. It may be that civilized sensation at speed that has earned the boxer line its reputation as a gentleman's bike. Just have a look at Instagram to see how that's been adopted. So, naturally, I added an alert to my Craigslist search and the story of how I came to own my 1973 R75-5 came to be. I hope you enjoy it. Christmas is the best part of my year. I've always loved it. I get homesick, I overspend on presents that people don't need, and I hang a shitload of lights in our living room. However, the bit I look forward to the most has really only evolved in the last few years since my wife and I moved to the West Coast. We lived in Northern California a while before moving to Seattle a few years ago. I grew up in Texas, and we go back every Christmas, no exceptions. At some point, my wife must have read in a magazine or saw some Pinterest board about all the wonderful things there are to do and see on a road trip between here and there, so it was pretty easy to convince her that we should just make the drive. What she failed to realize is that there's a whole bunch of Craigslist ads along the way, and the back of my truck can accommodate two or three motorcycles. So, as I made new friends and snagged some good deals, she would wait in the car and plot our next meal or any potential TJ Maxx stops along the way. She was a pretty good sport. By the third year of this new tradition, I had a system of saving money, renting a U-Haul, and plotting a route that would maximize that hunt. Though, by that time, we had our new daughter and my old dog stuffed in the cab, and their collective impatience, plus a crappy ice storm in West Texas, would end the trip as a family affair. 
Since then, I just fly the ladies to Texas and do the trip myself. However, the last stop that year would become a longer journey than I had expected. The ad was for a 1970-ish BMW R75 in San Luis Obispo. The price was great, so I didn't hold much hope of beating out the LA hipsters from getting up there before we hit the road headed south. I started calling in early December. I left some messages, I sent an email and a couple texts, but never an answer from the seller. We left town, I called from San Jose, no answer. We passed Monterey, no answer. I called from the highway passing through San Luis Obispo, nothing. As we crossed into Arizona, my phone finally rang with an 805 area code. Tom was apologetic that he hadn't been able to answer my calls, as things were pretty busy for him. I told him I understood, and we started talking about the bike. It was a black airhead. He didn't know much about it, except that it was his dad's, and it had been parked since he had gotten sick years before, unfortunately never riding it again before he died. The engine was stuck, and there might be something living in the fairing, but a guy from L.A. wanted to come up in a couple of days, but Tom really wanted to speak to me first, as I had been the first to reach out. I appreciated that. The first to show up with cash is usually the MO of Craigslist sellers. So I told him I was sincerely sorry to hear about his dad and my hope was to just leave it as it was and get it running. I just want to ride the thing. And I think that that struck a chord because he offered to hold it for me until we made our way back after Christmas, rebuffing the LA guy's offer completely. That was a relief. So now I could actually enjoy Christmas without obsessing. It's a rare, nice feeling when you feel like you can trust someone on their word, especially some Craigslist rando. So on the way back, the truck was full of presents and stuffed bellies, but I had a spot in the U-Haul ready for my new Bavarian friend. Once back in California, Tom met me at his house with his son, and they watched me give the bike a good once-over. One or both of the pistons were stuck, the seat was toast, the wheels were completely dried out, and the tank had some pretty rusty pinholes. But on the positive, it shifted through all the gears and the keys were there, as was the original title, and some pretty sweet Wixom side cases. We made the deal, and as my family waited, Tom introduced me to his. Tom was a preacher, and he had a big brood. They were all so sweet and were excited that Grandpa's old motorcycle would be going to a new home. I said my goodbyes, loaded the bike, and closed the trailer. The rebuild would take another year and a half with life and other projects coming and going, but both pistons were rusted in place and after a couple months soaking in a PB Blaster Marvel Mystery Oil cocktail, it was only a two inch by two inch block with the help of a 10 pound sledgehammer that would convince them to budge. I learned the hard way not to force the exhaust nuts off the cylinders, but fortunately there is an enterprising young German machinist who builds custom clamps, therefore solving the rampant issue of stripped exhaust threads. The carbs may have well been dipped in maple syrup, but with a rebuild and some tenacity, they would breathe again. The day I got a backfire, I nearly peed my pants. But, fortunately for my britches, a consistent spark was still elusive. The timing advance mechanism was pitted, and a hole had even rusted through the cam lobe, preventing the points from sliding smoothly and opening when they needed to. Here's where the universe aligned to inspire what I think is the most brilliant fix ever. One afternoon, my shopmate had stopped by with his girlfriend. She'd been stabbing these little tapioca balls in a plastic cup, a bubble tea, apparently, with a big, fat, blue straw before she gave up and just tossed it in the trash. Now, they got bored, eventually, of watching me try and futz with things, and they left. Then, 
something occurred to me and I ran over to that trash can as it turns out that big thick blue straw is exactly the diameter of the cam lobe of an R75 I cut off an inch piece and slid it over the cam covered the pitting in the hole and voila I set the gap and the timing chug 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 it was nearly 1 a.m., and my wife did not much care for my good news, but I was very, very proud of that moment. In mid-May, we moved to Seattle. I squeezed a few of my smaller bikes into a giant rental truck, but the BMW would need to wait. My job still required some travel back to San Francisco, so I decided that the next time I went back, I would get a one-way ticket and then return to Seattle on the BMW. In June... I got on a flight with a pair of boots and a change of clothes. By the first night, I had the new tires on, the tank patched up, and also the new advance mechanism had come, replacing my bubble tea straw fix. I managed to get a few rides around the shop the next day, no more than two or three miles, enough to tune the carbs and retorque the heads. The aluminum kickstarter lever cracked, of course, and a friend helped me weld it back to some usable state. It was coming together. It had to. I didn't have any other way home. My shop space was on Treasure Island, and if you're not familiar with the geography, there's a bridge in either direction. Go figure, it's an island. That meant that leaving it all was a commitment. The bike had better run. So, hoping that fortune did actually favor the bold, I got packed, loaded, maps set, geared, and nutted up. Day one. I eventually pulled away after telling myself the bike needed to warm up. In truth, I was a little nervous and just stalling for time. I packed tools. The original BMW tool roll was intact, but I brought a socket, set some zip ties and tape, etc. And the route was pretty simple. 80 to 505 to 5 all the way home. So as I threw my leg over the seat, my phone fell out of my pocket and shattered the whole face. Damn it. 25 miles into the 800-mile trip, the bike started to hesitate, missing once every few minutes at first, then increasingly to the point of nearly bogging down with any throttle. Unfortunately, that 25-mile mark from Treasure Island is right in the middle of the I-80 bridge connecting Crockett to Vallejo. Thankfully, I made it across the bridge to the little toll booth on the other side and cut across a lane or two to pull into the toll worker's little parking lot. This was actually pretty exciting. It was my first pit stop. I figured it was just fuel or timing. I could probably fix it. I removed the cover. Yes, BMW guys, I disconnected the battery first. And adjusted the point gap. The points had somehow not been tightened all the way down and had apparently shifted. As I lay prying, a toll truck rolled over and I expected to be shooed away, but a big guy leaned out and chuckled. That didn't sound too good coming over the bridge. You going to get a Harley now? I redeemed myself with a Harley guy when I reconnected the battery and the engine started right up. The next two hours were a breeze, propelled by 750 cc's of pride in my mechanical aptitude. At certain combinations of speed and RPMs, riding a boxer engine really does feel like floating. 
with my open bell mouth exhausts, it was pretty easy to imagine I'm flying some World War II Stuka through clouds of commuters and soccer moms. Then, in the middle of nowhere, i.e. around Willow, California, the sputter returned. I pulled over again, holding on to any shred of optimism. Under the forks again to see the point gap had somehow returned to too much. Not sure what that's about. So, final adjustment. Quick selfie, off again. Not only had I resolved this issue, I did it twice. These two unexpected stops and some looming weather made me decide to bunk just short of the Oregon border, so I called my wife to let her know how awesome of a time I was having, and I heard a bunch of voices. She was having pizza with our friends, and she made pie without me. The nerve. Day 2. Early rise, beautiful morning, easy start, and frankly, I looked really cool riding off on this fabulous example of a vintage BMW airhead. For about four hours, this awesomeness held up. Sputter. Damn it. You stupid kraut bastard piece of ch- I pulled into the little town of Cottage Grove, Oregon to see if there was a BMW shop or some sort of dealership, haha. Ha or some place from which I could poach some new points, and I found a strategically located shade tree in a Taco Bell parking lot with an auto zone across the street. Win, win, win. Under the forks, yada yada, I realized that the oil wick on the points plate was missing. Ah, the cam lobe had actually ground down this little piece of plastic on the points, increasing the gap more and more and more and more. It turns out that that little oiled piece of felt is pretty important after all, kids. That'll do it. Fixed. Lubricate. Fix some more. Start it up. Oh, shit! If you've ever witnessed a failure, whether it's mechanical or just some dumb animal falling off of something, then you may recall that small moment where you see a thing transitioning from a state of balance and stasis to a state of being completely fucked. The feeling in your heart that all's okay, and that after your burrito, you're just gonna get back on the road and continue being awesome, is shoved up your throat by your stomach and creates a panic and complete despair at the level of how fucked things have suddenly become. And that about sums up when I saw the arms of the timing advance unit open up to grab the wire that connects the points to the condenser and rip it out of its soldering point and wind itself up like that snug little burrito I just had. If you don't know what any of that means, it's just bad. Some stuff broke. Important stuff broke. So, what could I do? I walked across the parking lot, treated myself to some churros and a root beer. This is the adventure. What would Johnny Cash do? What would what would Han Solo do? You got this. I shed my gear, walked to AutoZone, maybe hummed the man comes around. There's a lot of walking and humming for the next few hours. You can't really fault auto parts store employees for not knowing anything. They're trained to find any given part by a series of questions about the corresponding vehicle like year, make, engine size, number of doors, etc. So I didn't have much hope of finding an obsolete part that would have been compatible with a 40-year-old motorcycle. Fortunately, 
I learned that my shady tree was more strategic than I thought. There was a Yamaha dealership right around the corner, so I hustled over, found a massive showroom of four-wheelers and dirt bikes. But it didn't look like they had a real focus on European motor parts. However, there was a nice-looking someone's mom behind the counter. Do you have any ignition points? What kind? Uh, any kind. No, sorry. Okay, do you have a um, soldering iron? She said, I think so. Hang on. Hope! My poor little points were so bent and abused, but they may just be convinced to hold out a bit more. She came out from behind the counter, and I followed her to the side of the showroom, which was opposite from what looked like where the shop area was, but I just followed the nice lady. Through some double doors and into a very noisy room, filled with a giant pile of dirt. I mean it, a great big pile of dirt. Literally, a 10-foot mound of brown earth with some little flags on top. And then suddenly the source of all the noise revealed itself as this tiny little RC car jumped over the top of the pile between the little flags and rallied around the corner. It was a room as big as the Yamaha showroom dedicated to RC rally cars. A booming robotic woman's voice started talking about lap times and a bunch of teenagers were whooping from the top of a platform that overlooked that giant pile of dirt. I asked the woman, is this for real? She just smiled and led me to the back of the room in a long wooden table that housed five or six electronics workstations with legit soldering irons and wires and those little solder suckers and everything. It turns out that, yes, they have a soldering iron. And so she turned to a gaggle of adolescents and said, Mark, can he use one of the soldering irons? That gaggle parted, and Mark, presumably the king of the local RC nerd teenagers, said, sure. And I got the feeling that he was really curious to see how many times I'd burn myself using their super upgraded kit. I managed to mend the points and splice the wire to some recognizable state, but didn't have much confidence in their reliability. Unburned, however, I thanked Mark and headed back to the bike, where I called my friend and bad decision legitimizer, Blaine. Now, Blaine knows a thing or two about a thing or two, especially about quick fixes to get one back on the road. He seemed to recall Volkswagen or Porsche points would work in a pinch, but Google was failing us in the moment to confirm a specific year or make. Remembering how crucial that information would be for the aforementioned parts store employee. So, back to AutoZone. I took the old points with me and managed to convince them, just let me dig around in an area roughly associated with ignition. I settled on some Porsche 914 points, roughly the same size and orientation as mine, and back to the bike. Now, every solution has the potential for creating new problems, and in such spirit, I realized that the points plate would need to be drilled out to accept these beautiful new Porsche points. The existing mount hole was for stock BMW points and would not allow for the gap to be set correctly with these new ones. So back to Yamaha. I made friends with the shop guys. They could tell my day was not going according to plan. I also think they were curious to see if I'd ever actually leave their town, as this was the third time in as many hours I had been in their building. They let me use a drill and some bits to modify the points plate. Close enough would count and I could make up the difference when I set the gap. 
Now, with the points able to be mounted, the lead from the Porsche points was much shorter than I needed. The BMW points connect to the condenser nearly 10 inches away. So back to the RC club. I had to interrupt Mark's entourage once more to see if I could use the irons again and if he had any wire that I could snag. He sneered another sure and gave me a spool of super thick neon pink wire. A snip, solder, heat shrink, crimp, and I would have the best looking ignition setup ever to grace a Beamer's belly. Back to the bike. I'm so proud of that pink wire. The plates went on, the gap set perfectly, and I tucked my hot pink lead safely away from the foul arms of the timing unit. When the bike started up, I couldn't help but smile with pride. I wanted to call someone. I was very aware of my luck, and I'm extremely grateful to the hot four-wheeler mom, RC Mark, and all the Yamaha shop guys. Thank you. I geared up and took off, uh, and then about a hundred yards down the road, an another goddamn sputter! I was, I'm defeated. I was done. This is too much to do. I, I, it's starting to rain. It's getting dark. A storm's coming, and the RC club is about to close. What is it? Did I, did I not solder it? Right. God, I'm screwed. I can't fix this. I'm going to I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here in cottage Oh. I didn't turn the fuel on. No No sweat. Day 3. If anything had gone wrong on this last stretch, I may have just given up and called AAA or taken up residence wherever I happened to be. Fortunately, a few hours of crappy weather and traffic were just a nuisance compared to the trials of the previous day. Tacoma, Boeing, stadiums, the lake. I pulled into my driveway, shut off the engine. My hands were numb from cold and vibration, and I wonder now if my new neighbors were watching me as I stared at this old black motorcycle in the driveway, still in my helmet and gear. I made it home. This was... The longest trip I had ever taken on two wheels, and certainly on the oldest vehicle I had ever owned. It dawned on me that this trip was actually a, the trial run for a bike that I had managed to resurrect. It was on a lift in pieces a month before, and then it was, it was rotting in Tom's garage not too long before that. As I stared, I began to mentally pat myself on the back. That bike was dead, and I brought it back. It was broke, and I fixed it. Things went wrong, and I improvised a solution. I figured it out. I am totally getting laid tonight. The sound of the garage door opening must have let my wife know I was back, and as I pushed this magnificent machine into its new home, the inner door cracked open and my longing wife stuck her head out, smiled and said, Hey, before you shut the door, can you bring in the recycling? And that's the truth. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Hole in the Head. It's been a long time coming, and like many projects, it's been sitting on the proverbial lift for a few years now. Look for new episodes soon, where I talk about times when I brought home other ridiculous bikes, like the little trailer park Ducati, or my orphaned Moto Marini. You'll also hear more stories about my accomplices, 
Hear about like when Blaine and I rode through the high deserts in Nevada with a herd of gazelle. Or how Alberto likes to ride in the back of the van for some reason. Also, this show is about sharing stories, and I'd love to hear yours. I'm working on a message system, but until then, holler at me on Instagram at Holding the Head Moto. I'm Andy, and thanks again. <laughs>